0: Welcome to the UK Educators Community Podcast hosted by Sid, an award-winning STEM communicator, serial entrepreneur and educational consultant and coach. Now my vision is to make maximum impact in the world through education but I know I can't do this alone. This is where you guys come in Why don't you join me on this journey as we as educators and entrepreneurs create impact one child at a time. Now, I know being an entrepreneur can be both lonely and overwhelming. At UK Educators Community, we've created a community of like-minded, like-valued individuals all supporting each other. From the Champions Club, accountability groups, to business retreats in Marrakesh, you'll find industry-specific support to help you propel your business forward. So why don't you join us? Join our Facebook group, UK Educators, or find some great resources on the website at ukeducators.com. We look forward to welcoming you to our community. We have got the amazing Charlotte Watson with us today, and she's going to be talking about her life as a tutor, but specifically an English group tutor. So welcome, Charlotte. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Tell us a bit about you, Charlotte, because I think we haven't met face to face and we've only just met on on Zoom just today. So tell us a bit about you for people who might not know much about you. uh, What do you do and what exactly do you tutor? So we know it's English. What kind of stuff do you do?
1: I um, have been teaching for over 20 years in schools, a real range of schools from primary up to prep and the independent sector, mostly around London. My first school was in Brixton, but I've also ventured out to deepest, darkest Epsom and places like that. I've had a range of experiences. My degree was in English, But obviously, as a primary teacher, you teach everything. But obviously, my area of responsibility was for English most of the time and looking at English across the curriculum. Then I became very much involved in the independent sector for a while and became head of English and drama in various schools. And then about five years ago, I changed direction completely because I just wanted to teach English and I found that being in school, as I'm sure many teachers have said, even if you don't have responsibility, and I did, you you end up doing millions of things that are nothing to do with teaching. And I found myself being taken away more and more from the thing I loved. So I went into tutoring and I started out with one-to-one pupils But because of where I live, I live in Wallington, which is a hotly contested, um, fought over catchment areas with all the grammar schools that are in this area. It became apparent that more and more people wanted 11 plus tuition and also GCSE. And it became very apparent as well that I was teaching the same thing over and over again to the same kind of people. And... I just realised that group tuition would be much more engaging, much more interesting, lively for the children, interesting for me, and I wouldn't have to be repeating myself over and over again. So it wasn't long before near the end of 2017 that everything changed and I stopped just providing one-to-one tuition and became a group tuition provider and I've kind of kept going ever since. I was originally face-to-face and I was doing 14 to 15 groups a week of different ages from year three to 11. And then when COVID hit, I went completely online and now I'm still online. Although in September, having completed a survey with all my parents and pupils, I will be still mainly online and just going back to four lessons a week face-to-face, which is quite An interesting turnaround, And Does
0: that mean that your audience has now expanded outside your direct area or are you still locally based? It is getting that way.
1: I mean, I'll be honest with you, at present, I have so much demand in the local area that I don't need to kind of spread out. But as you say, as word is getting out there, different people from areas that aren't quite so local are becoming interested because they don't have to worry about the commute. And one of my pupils at the moment, in fact, two of them, a brother and a sister, are actually based in Saudi Arabia. But they join us every week for the lesson, along with all the other pupils from a fairly local radius.
0: Are they planning to then kind of come to the UK and apply for that local school exam?
1: They were local. So in fairness to them, my word didn't spread to Saudi Arabia. They were local to begin with and they've moved out there And I think the idea is they possibly will move back. But yeah, it's interesting. I've had pupils join me from North London and I've got some pupils now from West London. I'm still, for the year fours and fives in September, half want to stay online, half want face-to-face again. So obviously... The year fours and fives most of the face-to-face pupils will be local but then i am running online groups for other pupils so they could in theory come from anywhere if they are planning to do the 11 plus
0: i think that's really exciting because it opens up a, such a, a big reach that you might not have been able to uh do before face to face
1: absolutely
0: there were times
1: when i'd have people interested they might have heard about me on facebook or somewhere else And then they say, where are you? And I say, Wallington, sorry. And they're like, oh, dear, I'm somewhere else, you know, North London or somewhere else in the country where they do the 11 plus and they realise they can't come to me. Whereas now I do, I feel really empowered that I can offer my services to anyone and everyone.
0: How was that transition? Because you talked about you decided that you wanted to stop teaching in a school. Were you already tutoring during your teaching career as well or did the tutoring happen straight after you'd left? On
1: and off. I mean, you'd always get the one or two on the sidelines saying, oh, you know, would you consider extra work or would you consider tutoring my child? And there were times I thought I joined agencies as well, but it was very on and off. I dabbled in it, if you like. Occasionally, I would help out, say, a friend's child, like my husband's work colleague's child. But I wouldn't say it was something I ever thought I would do full time. Although my husband did before me. I think he thought four years before I eventually left school that I would be perfect for this. And he even um, set up a domain name for me way before I even was in the right frame of mind. He'd already bought it. So I think he definitely had more faith in me than I did. So, yeah, it was an interesting transition because going from just doing it here and there occasionally to actually making it something that, was going to, if you like, define you and your career and your next step. I had to learn quickly, definitely had to learn quickly.
0: I'm just really curious about the transition. So did you like go part time or did you just kind of go, I'm going to hand in my job and then I'm going to focus on this and figure out how to um, bridge that income gap?
1: You're absolutely right. No, I I did go part time. I left a school and joined another school. But I'll be completely honest with you, it became very apparent very early on that there was so much demand for tutoring. I couldn't keep up with it, but also trying to do a job part-time never is part-time. So I ended up feeling like I had two full-time jobs. I suppose it gave me the confidence to feel like I could start the tutoring up gradually, but the reality was there was so much need. I probably could have gone straight from full-time teaching to full-time tuition, but I just didn't know the market was out there. I soon realized, no, this is bigger than I thought it would be, and there's lots of potential. And I'll be honest with you, self-determination and being able to do your own thing. I, I really caught the bug for that. And I realized this was what I was missing from school, you know. At one point I was a deputy head, I've been head of, you know, subject. You don't have the self-determination you do. And I still obviously I have constraints, you know, the constraints I have is I'm working towards the 11 plus. So obviously there are going to be certain things I need to do. I have obviously, if you like, the expectations of parents, I have standards that those children have to reach. Same with GCSE. I'm constrained, if you like, by the curriculum um, and what they need to know. But what I'm not constrained by is how I choose to deliver that and, and what kind of teacher I choose to be. And I decided early on what kind of teacher, tutor I wanted to be and how I wanted to deliver my lessons and how I wanted to inspire my children. And I think that is what's made the big difference for me. And I always joke about this, you know, whether I'm in Clubhouse or whatever, I probably work harder now than I've ever done in my life. And I'm sure a teacher listening might think, no, how can that be true? You know, teaching is so hard. And it is, don't get me wrong. But I'm not trying to kind of say that Working hard and not taking time out is good. Definitely not. I'm not saying that at all. And we do need rest and we need time out. But it was the needs of the job at the time. And I had to, because at that particular time, the way things were set up, I had deadlines that wouldn't wait for me. So I had to take the computer. I mean, obviously, I set up my out of office email and left a message on my phone saying, I will not get back to you till whenever. But because at the moment, I'm still. Sole trader, I probably won't change that. Um, and I have a few people who are um, contractors for me doing bits and pieces, but mainly I have to do everything. So, you know, I'm in charge of making sure my parents get the right invoice, I'm in charge of looking at the Facebook content. I don't have a VA just yet, that might be something I look at. I do a lot of it myself. So, obviously, that means I do have to spend a lot of time on it. But the difference is, although that's still taking me away from teaching, it's my baby. It's my creation. And yeah. I don't mind, therefore, working hard for what I believe in. It's when you're stuck in a situation where they're telling you to do things you just don't believe in or or don't agree with. And yet you've got to kind of toe the party line and you think, I'm really not sure about this. And I know yeah. you're, you know, you talk about being a disruptor. You, you know, you're talking about doing things differently. So I'm sure you can relate to that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think as a tutors, we wear so many different hats, and we have to, it's not that we have a choice. And I think, especially when we're growing as well, and it gets to a point then where like you're talking about now, you can get a VA in and then they'll take some of that burden off, but then you're going to have to manage people. Yes. And then it's a different hat to wear. (laughs) So it never ever kind of disappears, it's just it shifts, the responsibility shifts in different ways. So what does a typical day for you look like? If we just picked yesterday, for example, you get up in the morning, what time do you get up? What do you typically do in a day?
1: I am really trying to get better at having a proper routine because I must admit, one of the things I did when I first started tutoring was abandoning The alarm clock because I'd had over 20 years of getting up at like six o'clock and being in school by seven and thinking I don't ever want to do that again I'm not good at getting up to an alarm clock and unfortunately though (laughs) I got into some bad ways and you end up if you're not careful careful kind of lying until nine o'clock and whatnot.
0: I was saying this to someone else that I was interviewing I was like I lie, I used to lie into bed till
1: 11. Oh, good for you. <laughs> you know what? Obviously, anyone can do what's right for them, and I don't blame you. But,
0: but I'm trying felt... to change now. Yeah, I am, <laughs> I'm also trying to change now. I'm like, let's see if I can do it a different way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and And you know what? I don't regret that because it was nice to do things differently. And it was. It was great. But now, because I have a big kind of workload, you know, I work with about... 140 children a week wow Um, that's a lot (laughs) it is I have to manage that workload so I try and get up by seven and I'm trying to get into somebody was talking about it on one of the Facebook groups it's this thing called the miracle morning I don't know whether you've heard of it have you heard of it oh it's it's really good I think it it's about making sure that you start your morning in the right way with a bit of exercise a bit of Um, quiet time, some reflection, a bit of reading. So I'm trying to do that. um, And that's the way I get my exercise in. Otherwise, I can just spend all day at a desk. So I try and do this routine um, that lasts about an hour and includes having coffee. Coffee is very important to me. Stroking the cats, looking at my bird feeder, doing (laughs) lots of very gentle waking up task it's funny on holiday when I went to Scotland recently I was up at six like where should we go now what should we do where you know when I'm on holiday and don't have to work I'm up with the birds you try and get me up on a a school day shall we call it it's like, oh, do I really have to get up? It's
0: because you're mentally exhausted, right? And part of waking up is that brain waking up from uh, from the sleep as well. And you don't have that. You don't have that pressure when you're away.
1: No. So anyway, I'm trying to do this kind of routine to get myself a bit of discipline. Then, to be honest, I spend about three hours marking. And the reason being is because I run a lot of groups. It's really helpful for them to have a focus And every week I collate a little booklet that every single year group has. And at the moment it's online, but when I was face to face, I would print it and hand it to them. And it provides a really good focus. And because my children or my students rather are all aiming for something that is the same goal, it's kind of easy to create a curriculum that then matches that to ensure you've got coverage so by the time they get to the 11+, the plus, they've covered everything to do with grammar, punctuation, etc., etc. I always say to them, if any of this is something you know already or it's something you think you're finding easy, I will always give you a challenge or I will always give you something supplementary or if they're saying it's something they haven't covered, I said, well, have a go and, you know, see how you get on. So although it's not specifically differentiated, the kind of pupils and because of what they're aiming for, they're generally at a certain level anyway. And they know what they're buying into. They know they're buying into a curriculum. They know that by the end, some of it might be stuff they've already done that they can extend and deepen. Some of it will be things that are new and they might need a little bit more help. So because of that, I do have a lot of marking that goes with that booklet. At the moment, I do send out answers because we're online so parents who wish to and want instant feedback will for instance if we're doing a multiple choice task or something that's very easily a tickle or a cross they will do that with their child and get instant feedback and maybe go through any errors then what they will do is actually scan me over the whole booklet or some will drop off the book to me. So I have this box system literally outside my porch where people drop off in one pile and then they get back things in another pile, that kind of thing. Um, So a lot of what I do is I do a lot of marking of writing. Well, I wouldn't expect a parent to have to mark writing. It's not something that they're trained in or necessarily know about. Um, And they want my advice and they want my feedback. So I do a lot of marking of writing And again, another reason for doing so, if you like, it's an instant report back to the parents. So I know some people talk about writing reports at the end of term. Well, in a way, because of the way I mark, it's like a mini report every week. Mm. So constantly we're able, because we're online and I don't necessarily have the availability to meet with every parent every week, we have that constant kind of communication open through the feedback that both is useful for students, particularly obviously when they're in secondary school age, but also the parents as well.
0: And I guess that's really useful for you to get to know the kids as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, because somebody said, why don't you get somebody else to do all the marking? I said, well, the trouble is, it's part of the formative process of me seeing how the pupils are getting on. If I don't mark their work, I mean, I could have a cursory look at it, but it's not the same. So for me actually marking is a really key part of my role some of the younger pupils a parent might even write a comment or even the kids might say I wasn't quite sure on this one can you explain why this is x and not y kind of thing so there is a constant dialogue going on through the marking um with the parent and the pupil and myself is that every single day though you do three hours
0: of marking every roughly, single day? roughly
1: roughly wow, some days that is a lot It is. I mean, it tends to be mainly the big push is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then by Thursday and Friday, what I'm actually doing is then preparing for the following week. So obviously, over the years, I've built up a bank of booklets but I don't just rest on my laurels with those. I will always check them and think, do I still think this task is relevant? You know, I will look at the latest data on the kind of questions, for instance, in the 11 plus, or the kind of questions that have been asked at GCSE, the text they're doing, et cetera. And I will kind of have a quick look at those books, but I will obviously adapt and change them. And one of the things I want to do is actually make them much more my brand if you like from now on because I've been kind of using licensed material a lot of the time which is absolutely fine you know Twinkle for instance does a great job and I have a license for that but some of the time now I realize I want to just add that little bit of the wonder to learn way shall we call it which is the name of my company and I'm realizing I just want to tweak things and and do things that I think is more directly needed by my pupils. And obviously, again, because my pupils change every year, I want to make sure that I am tweaking what I do, that in case there are some misconceptions which have been shown up in the marking, I want to address that. So Thursdays and Fridays tend to be the days where I switch from marking to then looking at the booklets for the following week Um, and, again, spend about three hours looking at those and then sending them out to the pupils Um, via email at the moment I'm hoping from September to set up something on my website where they can just go into a secure file and grab them themselves but it's like anything we've all we all grow so quickly I know your whole service and everything you've done has kind of exploded and I feel a bit like that myself you know I thought I'd just be a one-to-one tutor for a few years and suddenly I've got all these pupils
0: (laughs) And then you realise, like, your systems and processes are not matching with, no. the, with the amount that like you're yeah. doing. And to grow further, you need to systemise some of the things.
1: Absolutely.
0: And then the daunting task of trying to backtrack and trying to figure out what how to systemise whilst also running a business.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly the point we're at. So, you know, I'm doing all this marking and, and kind of current work, if you like. But obviously, I'm thinking about September and how I'm trying to change my systems to be better and more systematic and easier to use. So at some point, I've been doing some planning for the summer holidays to work out when we, we, my husband is kind of my IT guru, when we can actually work together to set this all up. Because as you say, changing systems, which obviously will improve things, takes time. And sometimes you're so busy working in the moment of teaching that you haven't got time to kind of future plan. But I am definitely going to need to do a lot of that because, um, yeah, I want to make things easier for my parents and pupils to access and to make it a smoother and more enjoyable service for them so they don't constantly feel like they're involved in admin
0: themselves. So you do three hours of marking and then you have lunch. Is it something light or do you do a full cooked meal?
1: Oh, no. no, because I never used to have Kind of breakfast, I'd end up kind of eating, I don't know, about half 11 and having this kind of wacky brunch thing. So I'm trying to have a little breakfast in the morning. And then I just, no, I tend to try and just eat either a sandwich or some soup or salad. Um, If my husband's at home because he uh, works shifts, we might try and eat together. But again, no, I tend to just eat something light um, and wait for half past eight in the evening when I finally finish teaching to try and eat something a bit bigger and more sustaining
0: that's a long day so what do you do because I'm assuming you're teaching currently school kids so you have to wait till after school so what do you do after lunch till you start teaching is that your kind of downtime so
1: if you imagine say I do about nine till twelve of marking I'll probably do an hour of admin as well because I get obviously phone calls um, emails etc um I try and take about two hours off over lunch, as you say, downtime, because if I've done all that kind of hard, concentrating work in the morning with, you know, with my head, and then I've got to be all singing and dancing in the afternoon, I need some time out. So often again, I'll try and go for a walk or do some exercise, trying to read, play musical instruments, listen to music, try and do something that's completely separate. Try and arrange to meet friends if I can. Obviously, that's been more challenging uh, over the last couple of years, you know, but as things are slowly opening up, try and meet someone for coffee just to have that, as you say, that brain break and that downtime and feel like I'm me again and not because although I love what I do, it's it's not all me. I am not all consuming wonderland. There is a person underneath it all. So try and find time for that as well.
0: And so when do you start tutoring? At what I, time?
1: Yeah, just, just after half past four, I do three lessons a day, except Friday where I just do two. And I schedule it in a slightly bit earlier because they always ask why. And I said to get the weekend here a bit quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Although obviously for some people, that's their busiest time. But I, it's funny. I mean, I, obviously my first year of tutoring, I literally taught every day. You know, I did Monday to Friday. I actually started at about 3.30, right through till about 8.30. And then Saturdays and Sundays were ridiculous, like nine till six. And even when I first started the group tuition, I was working Saturdays and even sometimes Sundays. And I just thought at one point, no, enough's enough. I have family commitments. Although I don't have children, I I do have family and I have a mother who needs attention. I just decided, although (laughs) lessons are creeping back into the weekend a little bit for various reasons for (laughs) short term, I decided no, I need time at the weekend to actually properly diffuse from teaching and decompress if you like. That's why I joke about starting the weekend earlier. But yeah, I teach from 4.30 till 8.15, three lessons Monday to Thursday and then two on a Friday. Once a month, I do have a couple of lessons on a Saturday. I've now got to the point where I, I manage not to teach on a Sunday. It doesn't have to be a Sunday, it just happens that it is for me. But It's really important for me, even if I do end up doing work on a Sunday and admin, that I have that complete break from teaching and having to be on screen or having to be physically active to the point of, you know, fatigue (laughs) and exhaustion. So, yeah.
0: It's not sustainable to do that in the long term. And I I don't have a set routine as such. So I will have intense kind of couple of weeks and then I'll be like, I've had enough for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I do it the other way where I go really intense for a few weeks. yeah, And it's interesting to hear how other people do it. And I'm trying to get better and trying to take the weekends off and kind of work only weekdays. And I managed it in January and February, I think, and maybe up till March, and then it kind of changed again. Um, it's, it's seasonal, isn't it? Sometimes you're really yeah. busy with stuff and then you yeah. just have to get things done. You've talked about like your marketing and a bit of admin. What about working on your business because you've done a few courses and you've done a few yeah. things. Where do you kind of fit that time in like learning how to do marketing, learning how to do all of this kind of stuff? And where do you, when do you do your marketing?
1: I'll be honest with you. That is something that needs a lot of attention from me. It's a little bit haphazard at the moment. And that's one of the reasons why I want to improve my general systems, because I think that will release a lot of time for me. So as you say, I mean, marketing. Ha! <laughs> What's that? You know, I've I've realised that that's something I really need to improve on. So I'll be honest; it's a, unfortunately it's a little bit haphazard at the moment. And you know, before this year, I hadn't joined any Facebook groups, such as yourself. I was very much a loner. Um, tried to get involved with tutors in the local area, but that was a little bit unsuccessful for various reasons. And I actually, did get to the point where I thought I've been doing this for nearly four years. I feel alone here. I need support and advice. So um, I joined various things on Facebook and other places, really got more actively involved in LinkedIn in January. But then it it is kind of that overwhelming sense that, oh my gosh, now I know what I didn't know. And that awareness you get when you think, oh my gosh, I need to do better with my business. There's more I need to be doing. So I'll be honest with you, Sid. I'm at the point where I'm still trying to work out how To develop that and how to do my marketing better and and even understand what marketing is. Um, So I'm taking small steps. I've done a course recently with Oxford University, which was how to deliver online courses, which again, creates more work (laughs) and more awareness than I would have liked and more realisation of what I need to be doing that I'm not doing. But I think for me, I've had to come to a point where I've just focused on my teaching until I break up in July and then definitely over the August. I am going to spend more time thinking and strategizing uh, a way forward for September and just a a better, more efficient way of working so that some of these things like marketing, I can get involved in more regularly. At the moment, it feels like it's almost like I wait till the holidays to think about all these other business things. All that kind of thing waits till the holidays. Although obviously in the summer, I do run an 11 plus course for the year fives, but I try and give myself headspace then to think about things like that. But I'll be honest with you, I need to do things more regularly and find ways to fit that in more regularly that I'm clearly not doing at the moment.
0: And you don't realise that the teaching aspect is just yeah. one part of a jigsaw and the jigsaw is really big and you've got yeah. like your systems and processes, you've got your IT, you've got your finances and as you grow you're going to need an accountant and all the rest of it and then you've got like your marketing and you've got your customer service and like all of that takes time and the yes. teaching bit is like this little tiny bit. <laughs> That brings in the sales and and, and things. I don't think anyone is at a point where they say, I've got it perfected because it's always something that you need to be working on. Um, But we've got something exciting coming up next year. You're excited about this.
1: Oh, I'm totally excited, which I hope will help me think more strategically and give me some good CPD.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so Charlotte is coming with us to Marrakesh. We're going to be doing a business development retreat in Marrakesh. um, And... Yeah, why did you sign up? What excites you about it? Because I know you're a traveler as well, and so that kind of ticks that box. But what kind of attracted you to it?
1: Your energy and enthusiasm, (laughs) and to be fair, the way you market yourself. And also, I think sometimes, although obviously going abroad is very extreme, but actually getting out of a situation. You know, so not just going to the local hotel um, or not just stuck on Zoom, which obviously we've had to be and has had many benefits. I just thought, yeah, you know, let's do something completely different. Um, I like the idea of the challenge that you've set up and the cultural side of it as well that you have mentioned. And the fact that you obviously seem to be working with a local group out there anyway, We're not just kind of flying into Marrakesh and flying out again, but you're obviously involved in projects already um, and you have contacts and things out there. And, you know, I I suppose as well, because I do have a way of doing things, I know how I do things, and knowing yourself and also knowing Lucy, the fact that you both think very much out of the box, I just thought it would be a great way to be challenged. And um, it's a long time, perhaps, since... I've been challenged to think out of the box and it'll be fun, you know, to do business strategy. But with all the exciting kind of tasks and challenges that you have suggested, we will be doing.
0: It (laughs) is really exciting. I think I've had so much kind of excitement over kind of planning it out and kind of figuring out how to do it, because it's almost like a mini apprentice that we're going to be doing. And I always... Bang on about how like the people you surround yourself with is so important, and I think if you've got the right people, and I think we're going to have some fad people on this trip. If you've got the right people around you, and you get to kind of just bounce off their energy and absorb it, you're going to come up with ideas that you never thought of before, and different way of doing things and thinking outside the box. And for anyone listening that hasn't heard of the retreat, it's five or ten day. We've got two options. And we're going to be flying out to Marrakesh. And I'm really big about having an impact on the world through education. So it's not just about us having our little educational retreat and then coming back home. But we're going to be involved in the local community. We're going to go up to the Atlas Mountains. We're going to do some project work there. And and just immersing ourselves in the culture, because I think the Moroccan culture is amazing. And we were talking about this before the podcast about how you've been before and you love the light and and like the colours and things like that there, I think it's going to be fab. At the same time, doing work as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of ticks all the boxes. You know, it's it's useful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's going to teach us something but and develop us, but definitely it's going to be much more than that. And I, I think I will get so much more out of it than I'll ever anticipate. And I can't even... Imagine what. Uh, And, yeah, it'll be lovely to meet different people, people with, as you say, a similar energy. Um, I'm looking forward to the the, the five days that we're going to spend in the desert as well, because even though that's not specifically, you know, all about business strategy and education, like you said, I absolutely adore travelling because I think there's always something you can learn about yourself and (laughs) about humanity and about life when you go traveling that I can't really even put into words I really can't yeah I I feel very passionately about travel challenged as well as to how to make it ethical and carbon neutral these days and all the other things we've got to do but yeah definitely definitely want to do more traveling as and when I can and when when it's right to do so
0: it's a personal growth that comes from being in a situation like that where you're around other people and you're in a new culture and you're kind of immersed in that and your best ideas come when you're away from thinking about and I think that's why I wanted the five days and the five days in the desert because then you're completely away from work you're not going to really be getting your laptops out as much we might do it occasionally (laughs) but not as much and then when you're away from that that's when your brain starts thinking and coming up with the ideas and Everything that you've learned starts to get embedded in, in your kind of mind. So that's where I think the best ideas are going to be coming when you're out in the open, when it, there's no noise and you can just think. So I'm really excited. Like I don't know, there's a famous entrepreneur, I, I don't know who it was now, someone mentioned this to me, that he will take essentially a reading week. And I mentioned this idea, just taking two weeks out of their kind of daily kind of day-to-day things. I think he does it every six months or so. And he just immerses himself in just reading, just reading. And I'd love to do that. I'd love to like take a a group of us just to hold each other accountable and we could do stuff in the evening. But during the day, just to sit and read and just be away from business and life. Yeah, it would be. Because you learn so much from other people's experiences, I think, as well. So,
1: I was reading this book about the miracle morning as well, and you know, famous people who take time out. So, here's me talking about getting up at seven. They get up at like five to do all their reading, and I'm thinking, oh my word. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how they feel, fit their sleeping because I But you work
0: sleep. in the evenings, right? So it's hard. I think if you're going to be going to bed at 9, 10 o'clock, then you probably can do that. And it's just shifting your schedule. But if you're working in the evening, you don't really have time to decompress before you sleep. No,
1: no. And so, I do need a couple of hours before, exactly. you know. By the time I've kind of wrapped everything up, I finish at half eight. I need a good couple of hours, especially if I'm eating late as well. Because the trouble is, if I eat before I teach, that's four o'clock and that feels weird. So I probably am doing everything wrong. If a dietitian was listening, they'd probably think, oh, my gosh, she eats at 8.30. But it works for me. And it's really nice because if my husband's been on an early shift, he'll often cook. And so I have this meal presented to me at half eight in the evening, which is lovely. If he's on a late shift, it's more up to me to try and cook. And that's when,
0: yeah.
1: oh, maybe I call out for a pizza. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I'm trying to get better at the food bit. What I've done now, and you might want to do this, is that I will meal plan on a Sunday for the entire week and then get my shopping delivered on a Monday morning. Yeah. Then everything's in the fridge and I know what I'm cooking when and then I just got to cook. And then I know if I don't, there's going to be a whole load of food that gets wasted. Because what I was doing before was I'd be like, Oh, I'm exhausted, it's ten PM and then I'd just like fry something and it's so unhealthy and then you end up putting on weight and you feel all kind of groggy because you're not eating the right stuff. So I'm trying to get better on that side and I think yeah And I do enjoy
1: cooking. So you know if you start to stress about oh I've got to eat then you're you're just going to make it another thing that's just a chore. But I think if you can do it kind of mindfully and enjoy it and maybe look at a recipe then as you say, it's going to be part of your downtime and it's going to be more fun and enjoyable.
0: Well, I was never a foodie before like the, this last four weeks. So now I'm oh, like, really? oh, yeah. I'm where do you get your ideas
1: then. from? Where do you get your...
0: There's a website. I will have to find it and put it in the link or I'll send it to you. There's a website where you can just pick all the meals and then it produces a grocery list for you. So you don't even have to sit there and think about what you need to buy. It'll tell you. And then I just put it into like a supermarket store and then they get it delivered. And what I find then is your thinking power is not being used on what am I going to eat today? Because that was another stress. It's like, what am I going to eat today? And then I'd be like, oh, I don't know. So I'm going to put it off for another hour. And then you just kind of keep putting it off. And then you're like, oh, I'll just have a chocolate bar. And, like, now I've not really eaten chocolate or crisps or anything like that oh. because I'm actually eating meals and then I'm full. do are eating I don't feel properly
1: like... and healthily. Exactly.
0: Five so a day. <laughs> it's made a huge difference. And then it's made me realise this is why we have systems in business. So, we don't have to think and we can focus on the areas that we do need to be thinking on. And I think if I can get my business to, to that point where I'm not having to think about little things like that because they're automated or there's systems in place, it frees up your mind to then be able to think outside the box. Yes. And, yeah, that's the struggle of weighing things up and trying yeah. to get them in place.
1: So I think definitely for me that's going to be the priority for the next year is is to be more efficient with my systems so that I don't mind the marking so much because for me that is part of the teaching process. I don't see marking as like something I would want to get rid of. But there's other things definitely that could be better um, systemized if you like, to then allow me to have that free thinking time and maybe do more with the business. Yay! because I would like to do more. <laughs> I'd love to write more. I'd love to produce more resources that are available to anybody, like more exam papers that maybe are a bit more relevant, a bit more up to date, maybe a bit more culturally aware. Although obviously with all of that comes copyright issues. But I want to look into that, you know, and and do more creative things. Always got to support my current pupils, but then are available to anyone.
0: Because you're doing English, you could do something Moroccan inspired. Like, like you might get ideas you could take photos of stuff that yeah. you seen and get the kids to write about what they feel when they look at a photo like you could do all sorts and I think cultural experiences are so important because they, they educate you as an educator and then you go and share it with your students and and the people that you've Kind of really well it's
1: quite interesting because I've noticed that a few times when I've been on holiday or traveling I've been able to draw upon it with my with my students I mean I love younger pupils because they just get amazed by everything I remember when I showed them this rock has come from a volcano you know and they're like ah! um, yeah. it happened to be Vesuvius which is quite easy to climb but you know I I kind of embellished it and we added to it and they were all so excited by it. And they looked at the rock, et cetera, et cetera. The most wonderful things I've done in terms of traveling was I have quite a majority of Sri Lankan pupils. And I decided with my husband that one year, a couple of years ago, that would be our summer holiday. Of course, it was somewhere I'd be interested in going anyway, but it really helped me to connect with my pupils going to the place where they're from that they travel back to. I mean, obviously, for some of them, I didn't necessarily go to their specific region, but it was still a starting point. And and I know just because I've been once doesn't mean I know everything about Sri Lanka. but, But it really gave me a connection with them. And a huge part of it was obviously I went to an area where the tsunami hit in 2004, I think it was, And went to the tsunami museum there, but then spoke to various locals who we got to know about how it affected them specifically. And the same thing happened in Croatia last year when I got to know lots of locals and we were talking about, obviously, the Balkan War and, you know, things that happened to them at that time. And just finding out local people's experiences and and things and not just going as a tourist and, and experiencing touristy things but really understanding a little bit more about what's going on in their life. And it was really sad, actually, because when we came back from Sri Lanka, and obviously lots of my students really wanted to see all my pictures and wanted to see where I'd been and what I'd done. But those
0: small things make a huge difference. Like before you didn't have that connection and now you only had that pupil as a connection or that family. And now you're building another bridge and then you like you'll learn something else. Or you'll read a book and you'll be like, oh, this is another part of the puzzle. Like there's so much out there to learn and I don't think we're in our lifetime we're gonna get anywhere nearer covering nineteen like even one percent of what's out there. But all of these little things where we go out of our way to kind of seek a story or to find out someone's history, it helps us connect with communities. And I think there's so much about dividing people and, like, countries and borderlines and all of these things that I think sometimes it's nice to actually find a connection point with people. Even if it is, I went to holiday and I experienced a bit of the culture, I think it's nice. I think it helps people to give them a talking point as well. They're like, oh, you've been to Sri Lanka, where did you go? And, like, there's that connection and that talking point. So I, I hear you, I hear what you're trying to say, and I find that's really important. And for me, I think part of Marrakesh is to kind of share the stories of that region, to share the struggle of the Amazia people, because they're the natives of North Africa, yet they're not heard of, and lots of people don't know about them. And if we as educators can then be aware of that, we might tell these stories to our students, and they might come up in conversations, or you might have a a student that's from that region, and you'll be able to connect with them a little bit more. And you might actually want to explore the history yourself more deeper. So I think all of these things open up our horizons to what's out there in the world. And I don't think that's ever a bad thing.
1: Yeah. And as I say, hearing some of the personal stories of people involved in the tsunami as well and what happened, it's difficult because, you know, what can I do? Well, there's lots we can do, but you know what I mean? I don't want to go in and go, I can do this and I can help. It's much more complicated than that. But just hearing them, I think, is a starting point. And then getting the awareness and just understanding that, people have come a long way since you know and here we are it was 2018 I think that I was out there and you know everything's lovely again in this area and they've managed to build up but just understanding a lot went into that a lot went into that rebuilding and there's still struggles and there's still things that we need to be aware of and maybe think about ways in which we could support that are going to support the locals and not and not keep them independent and keep them you know rebuilding for themselves but just finding ways to support (laughs) that are helpful and not patronising.
0: I think we share similar values on that. And imagine now if you're you're sharing a story in your English lessons about the tsunami, it's going to come from a completely different place than just from a distant kind of, yeah, this happened in the world. You're going to be able to kind of share stories and, and kind of little bits and pieces of what you picked up. And that will be so much more powerful for your students as well. And I think this is what being an educator is. It's about getting all of these these resources together and presenting it to the kids in an age appropriate way where they can then understand and want to be keen to go and learn more (laughs) that they want to go and visit. Sometimes we underestimate the impact that we have and by giving the confidence in an area um, of learning, they will go on and utilise it in different ways. So I think as educators, we make that happen because it's true. I think we don't realise the impact that we have and Sometimes we don't hear about it. This is why we are educators, right?
1: Yes. We are making
0: <laughs> we are making difference. Even if it's one child at a time, we're still doing it. And this is why I'm so passionate about making sure that we create sustainable businesses so we can carry on doing what we're doing. It's been amazing interviewing you, Charlotte. <laughs> I know this was only meant to be half an hour. And we've gone over. But it is amazing. And I think it's been fascinating hearing kind of your journey and where you're at and what your visions are and how much we as two completely different subjects. And but we align on so many levels. And I think you also have this passion to kind of immerse yourself in the world and and learn everything and kind of connect the dots. And I've got a similar sort of passion. Yeah. And I think we'll probably be doing lots together going forward. (laughs) And thank you for the opportunity to share and chat. You're welcome. You're welcome. If people want to reach out to you, how do they do that?
1: My website, wonderlearn.co.uk, my Facebook page, which is Wonder Learn Tuition. I'm also on LinkedIn as Charlotte Watson. Uh, so hopefully that gives you
0: various ways. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank, and thank you. you so much for sharing your story. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation and took lots of value from it for your business. Now, if you did, please remember to do me a favour and rate and review and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss another episode. If you fancy becoming a member of the Champions Club or would like to attend a learning workshop or maybe even the Business and Cultural Retreat in Marrakesh, then visit the website UKEducators.com where you'll find lots of information. You can also join our Facebook community at UK Educators. I'm Sid, you've been listening into the UK Educators Community Podcast and I'll see you next Sunday when we release another episode.